transforms. Jesus transforms. See, the name Onesimus, it literally means useful. It was a common name for people who were servants. If it was a good servant, they would call him useful. But notice what Paul says in verse 11. You notice the play on words where he says, who was once unprofitable or not useful to you, but now he is useful to you and to me. And so I'm sending him back to you. Even as followers of Christ, we may feel unqualified to do the tasks he's calling us to. Pastor Daniel reminds us that this just isn't true. Today, we'll be introduced to a former servant who, before meeting the Apostle Paul, was ineffective in all he did. However, because of Jesus, he now was a testimony to the power of redeeming grace. We've been transformed as well and therefore are useful and needed members of the body of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Philemon verse 2 with part 2 of his message, Jesus Changes Everything. People say, hey, what's your name? Say, I'm the beloved Daniel. People might be like, well, who do you think you are? I'm like, I'm a child of God. I'm the beloved one. That sounds a little bit pompous, right? You're like, yeah, don't use that, Fusco. But you know what? It's still true. It's like you're beloved by God. And get comfortable with that being who you are because I'm here to tell you that when all else fails, that is who you are. That's who you are. You're beloved of the Lord. You're beloved of Christ. Just like Afi. And then of course, you have this other brother in here, Archippus. He's a fellow soldier. Now, it's another good reminder. Not only is the work of the kingdom labor, it's also war. I don't like using dramatic language just for drama's sake. And I realize that as somebody who's never served in our armed forces, I feel like, man, I can't really just like roll out like war language, you know, because it's cool. But the work of the kingdom is a battle for the souls of people. And that battle rages every single day in every single sphere of every single one of our lives. Right now, there is a battle going on for your soul and my soul and your neighbor's. And everything that goes on in the world is part of that battle that's going on. And you know, I was just talking to someone, you know, we created a new position called the pastoral apprentice. We had a number of guys who went through an interviewing process. And we brought one of these guys on and I sat down with him and I said, hey, listen, you just have to realize that when you come to know Jesus, you switch teams in the battle. And when you start to serve, you find yourself in the infantry. And when you decide to go on staff as a pastoral apprentice, you just land on the front lines. And I'm like, so when bullets start flying, remember, you signed up for this. And I say that because that's real. That's real. That you, when you step into the, there's a war going on, and it would be nice if we had like a dignified idea of war, but it's not. It's a battle. And I'm here to tell you, the enemy of the souls of humanity doesn't play nice. He doesn't play by the rules of engagement. All he wants to do is steal, kill, and destroy God's glory and our joy. That's all he wants to do, destroy lives. And so there's this battle that's going on. And Archippus, he's a fellow soldier. He's part of it. And to the church in their house, 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love verse three. Grace and peace. We always say, I say this all the time. I never get bored of it. You cannot know peace unless you know God's grace. You have to realize that. You can give peace a chance, but if you don't have God's grace, you will never be able to truly be a peacemaker because it is through God's grace that God fixes what it is that caused the lack of peace, and that is us and our rebellion against God and our lack of self-sacrificial love for other people. So grace has to come before peace. It's always grace and peace. It's never peace and grace. You need God's grace first so that you can come to peace with God and experience the peace of God. That's why we always put Jesus first. And many of you, even right now, you are trying to be at peace in a situation, but you're trying to do it without first leading with the grace of God. God's riches at Christ's expense. The finished work of Jesus. And you're finding that you can't get there because you have to lead with grace. The way God has treated you in Christ, now you seek to pass that along to somebody else. And then you can be a constructive peacemaker. Because you know it's hard when you're trying to make peace, but you're not leading with grace. And in your attempts to make peace, you're just making more destruction. We've all had that experience, haven't we, in some ways? Where you're like, yikes, but that's the way it goes. Grace has to lead this. Because God's grace comes first, and God's peace is the fruit of God's grace. So Paul and Timothy are writing to Philemon. Now, what's this book about? And I want to give this to you up front because I think that this is super important. Really what you're going to find is that while Paul was in jail, there was a runaway slave named Onesimus who comes to know Jesus. And Onesimus ran away from Philemon. And Paul wants to send Onesimus back to Philemon. But what's amazing is, and I never thought about this before, when I was a young pastor, I used to spend a lot of time with a, about a 74-year-old Orthodox Jewish man named Chaim Kokstein. I've talked about him before. Became a good friend of mine, and we would sit in the Starbucks in downtown New Brunswick, New Jersey, and we'd yell at each other about Jesus. And it was really fun because, you know, Chaim was a, he was an amazing guy, but he's like, he used to call me pastor after a while. I was like, Pastor Daniel, can you come to the church? He's one of the first people who started coming to the church that I started in New Brunswick. And he'd say, you get it. He's like, all you Christians, you try and share about Jesus with the Jewish people, you're too nice. Argument is our love language. You know what I mean? And so we'd be sitting there and he'd be drinking his espresso and I'd be drinking my whatever I was drinking and we'd be fighting and be, you know, and he's like, and he loved it. He's like, I feel loved by you. Right? And so and we had this great relationship. And like, even like, you know, he spent about two and a half, three years with me at, in New Brunswick. And then he actually made Aliyah the right of return. He moved back to Israel. And Lynn and I and Obadiah, we went and visited him. He lived outside of Jerusalem in Talpiot. And it was really super fun because I remember one day he's like, the Apostle Paul broke the law. I'm like, well, yeah, that's why he believed in Jesus. He's like, no, no, no. The book of Philemon, the fact that's even in the Bible is bad. And I'm like, really? Why? And then he took me to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 15 and 16. Listen to what it says. You shall not give back to his master the slave who has escaped from his master to you. He may dwell with you in your midst, in the midst which he chooses within one of your gates, where it seems best to him. You shall not oppress him. Now, I didn't realize, I didn't know that those verses were even, I never really thought about it. But he's like, no, no, the Apostle Paul, he's getting the law wrong because Onesimus was a runaway slave and Paul is sending him back and that violates Torah and Paul should know better. (laughs) I was like, where are you going with this now, Fusco? 
But I call this message, Jesus Changes Everything. Because as we go through this book over the next number of messages, what you're going to find is that Paul isn't violating this law. Jesus, in his transformation of Onesimus, absolutely transforms their relationship as well. See, Paul is not sending a runaway slave back to be enslaved. He's saying, no, 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 I want him to go back to you because you guys are brothers now. And my friends, that's a radical idea. And that is a radical idea in a world like we're living in right now in the summer of 2016, where it feels like people are ripping apart at the seams, that our world is ripping apart at the seams. When you start to realize that Jesus changes everything, Jesus changes every relationship where we don't see black or white, or we don't see police officers or people being pulled over, and we don't see Democrats or Republicans. We see Jesus and we say, that is a human being in front of me. And that transforms the way that we look at all of these things. See, Paul is not returning a runaway slave so that he can be beaten and hurt and imprisoned for running away and shirking his duty. Paul is sending back a brother to a brother and he's advocating for him, which is exactly the way Jesus is. But I'll be honest with you, when my buddy Hiam told me that, I freaked out because I'm like, I don't know what to say. But I had to think about it. I had to ponder. I had to meditate on the word. I had to say, Spirit of God, will you take your word and reveal it to me that I might understand what's going on? And then you start to realize, oh, this isn't about a return of a slave. This is about what does it mean to be the family of God with somebody who didn't take care of you the right way. And that, my friends, this lesson in what it means to be family in Christ is transformational. It changes everything. And I want you to be able to, as we go through this, to apply this to the situations that you find yourself in. What does Jesus, what does the finished work of Jesus, what does the grace of God, what does it speak into this? And don't let yourself off the hook because, well, I'm just mad at that person and forget that. No, no, no. Jesus changes that as well because Jesus' love is not ambivalent, but Jesus' love is passionate. So passionate that he came to die for us. So in verse four, we move into that common time in letters that you find in your Bible and in the first centuries of the Christian era, where after the greeting or the salutation, it's followed by some sort of an expression of thanksgiving and a prayer. So look what it says in verse 4. It says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Verse 6, that the sharing of your faith may become effective to the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus, for we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. My friends, have a testimony like Philemon. Have a testimony like this man, Philemon. This, Paul's account of the testimony of this man, the life, the story that this guy's life tells is beautiful. Look, he's like, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers. And Paul's always, you got to love, Paul was a praying man. Would to God that each one of us would be able to see someone say, man, I thank God I'm always making mention of you in my prayers. What a powerful friendship. What a powerful reality to be constantly speaking to the Lord about someone. And Paul's always doing that. Notice, hearing of your love and your faith, 
which you have toward the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. See, Philemon's testimony was a testimony of love for God and faith to God and also to the people of God. So in that upward, inward, and outward way of living that we talked about, we love God and we love our neighbors outward as we love ourselves inward, right? And that way, Philemon's got that thing going on. He loves God and he's got faith in God. He trusts the Lord. And that love and faith isn't only vertical, it's also horizontal. And I never get tired of encouraging us as a family of faith to not only love God, but to also love people. Not only say, we worship you, God, and we praise you, we do that, but then we always let the Lord move that into the horizontal level, and especially the people who are challenging to love. I never tire of that because it's on every page of our Bibles. The need for our testimony, not only to be how we feel about God, but also how we treat other people in love and faith. And again, I say this all the time. Loving someone does not enable them to sin against God either. See, we learn from Jesus what love is. Jesus didn't do everything the Pharisees wanted because the Pharisees weren't seeking truth. They were seeking power. And so Jesus didn't answer some of their questions. The Apostle Paul doesn't always do what everybody wants because he realizes that it's not loving to enable somebody to rebel against God or to hurt somebody else. So real biblical love has boundaries even as it's self-sacrificial. But we have this upward and this outward love. And not only that, look at this, verse 6, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now, I love this, because Philemon's evangelism, his sharing of his faith is also backed up by the way he lives his life. And I think this is super important. Because we all know people who they're all talking about how all the stuff that God's doing, but you look at their life and you're like, you know what, it's all great that you're doing all that and you're bragging about all the stuff you're doing, but where's the real-time testimony of you being like Jesus at all? Right? And so the message, the sharing of his faith outward is backed up by the way that he lives in Christ. And I think that's important. Now, listen, if you're saying, well, listen, maybe you're saying I should do evangelism because I don't have my life together. No. Like I always tell you the story. Remember, I told you a story about my buddy who had a Jesus fish on the back of his car for a long, long time. And then I saw him and he just had like the glue line of the fish. And I said, hey, what happened to your fish on your car? And he said, oh, well, I've been smoking. I didn't want anyone to see somebody with a Jesus fish smoking in my car. I'm like, you didn't think to quit smoking? You know, just like, just <laughs> kill the fish? You know, like, come on, dude. Like, Maybe this thing's supposed to be different, you know? And so, but a lot of us do that, right? We're like, well, I should share my faith, but I don't really have it together, so maybe I shouldn't share my faith. No, that's what the enemy wants. Just share your faith and let Jesus change your life. You know what I mean? Like, that's all we want to do. Like, so we don't want you to stop sharing your faith if you don't have your testimony together, but we also want you to let Jesus change your life so you're like, yeah, you know, my testimony of my life actually lines up with the things that I'm saying. I want my walk to be in line with my talk. And Philemon has this going on. In verse 7, I love this. For we have great joy and consolation. That word consolation means comfort. In your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Oh, see, we want a testimony like Philemon. Because Philemon's faith and love for the Lord and other people is now bringing joy and comfort to Paul, who's in jail. Because he hears the testimony by how hospitable and loving and kind Philemon is. And he's like, man, man, we have such joy and comfort in the most joyless and uncomfortable of situations because of the testimony of your life. 
Is your life in Jesus something that brings joy and comfort to people who are in tough situations? It should be. Philemon's got a rad testimony here. Now, in verse 8, look at what it says. It says, Therefore, though I might be bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's getting ready here to explain to Philemon the thing that he's desiring. But I want you to notice this. I think this is so important, my friends. We need to appeal, don't command. We need to learn how to appeal and not command. See, the Apostle Paul is going to ask something of Philemon, which is very challenging. And Paul is saying to him, listen, he's saying, therefore I might be bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I would rather appeal to you. See, Paul's saying, look, I can command you as an apostle, but I'm not going to. I'm going to appeal instead. I'm not going to speak authoritatively. Even though I could, I'm just going to appeal to you as a brother. And you know what, you guys? I think this is super important. You know what I've learned in this generation? People are put off by commands anyway. We live in a world where it's like, well, who are you to talk to me that way? even when someone has the rightful authority to do it. But we learn from Paul here that we should appeal to them. See, and Paul's smart too, because he says, look, he says, not only I can be bold, it's fitting, and also being such a one as Paul the aged, he's saying, look, I've been around the block a while. I'm well known. I'm Paul. You know what I mean? I'm older in the faith than you. I can appeal because of my age, And also now, because I'm a prisoner of Jesus, he's like, man, the testimony of me being in jail, that gives me even more street cred. He's like, but for love's sake, I appeal to you. Now, my friends, I just really want to encourage you with this. Having tough conversations with people is tough. I call it strong fellowship. When we have those times where it's like, we have to like kind of get into something. But I love the idea of for love's sake, I'm going to appeal to you rather than command you. And I think there's a powerful reality there in working through conflict, the ability to appeal based on love, because of love. I think as parents, I think for those of you who have adult children, this idea of learning the art of the loving appeal as opposed to the authoritative command is very powerful. And don't get me wrong, I can find you all sorts of other places where Paul is commanding. So the difference is is also one to know the difference, right? I'm not saying that all commands are bad, but in this case, Paul is coming alongside with a loving encouragement and appeal as opposed to a authoritative apostolic command. And I think for all of us, that's a little life nuance that if we all learned, I wonder how things would change. I wonder how many less broken relationships we would experience. I wonder how much less time we would have to do damage control on things because we haven't perfected the art of knowing when the loving appeal is actually more strategic than the authoritative command. Now, you know what's amazing about this? Paul's appeal, obviously, is going to be for this man, Onesimus, right? But what's beautiful is, listen to Paul's testimony of this man in Colossians chapter 4, verse 9. With Onesimus a faithful and beloved brother, 
who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. See, Paul knows Onesimus differently than Philemon does. And he calls him a faithful and a beloved brother who is one of you. He's like, this guy's part of the family. And he will make known to you all things when they get there. So Onesimus becomes part of Paul's traveling ministry team. But even with that being the case, Paul does not command him. He appeals to him for love's sake. Right here, look what it says in the middle of verse 10. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. Do you see this? Paul now gets to the crooks of what's going on. He's saying, look, I'm appealing to you for, notice he calls him my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my chains. So Onesimus came to faith in Jesus while Paul was in prison. And then he says, verse 11, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me, I am sending him back to you. My friends, Jesus transforms. Jesus transforms. See, the name Onesimus, it literally means useful. It was a common name for people who were servants. If it was a good servant, they would call him useful. But notice what Paul says in verse 11. You notice the play on words where he says, who was once unprofitable or not useful to you, but now he is useful to you and to me, and so I'm sending him back to you. Now, my friends, this is so important. See, the enemy can take someone from being useful and make them useless, and Jesus can transform them from being useless to being useful and profitable again. And that's powerful. See, because I believe that there's many of you right now, you feel like because of decisions you've made and things that have gone on that you are not profitable for God. And I'm here to tell you that just like Onesimus, who wasn't profitable for Philemon when he ran away from him, when he fled, when he stopped doing the things he was responsible for. But because Jesus met with Onesimus through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, now all of a sudden the Apostle Paul is saying, no, 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 he's profitable for both of us now. I'm sending him back to you because you need to experience the transformation of Jesus in this guy Onesimus who was once was not profitable, but now he is profitable for you. Do you see the implications of this, my friends? Because if you're here, no matter where you are right now, let's say for those of you who are here who are yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus will transform you and make you profitable in the things of God's kingdom. The things that really matter the things that last into eternity, not just the things of this world that's passing away, but the things of eternity. If you were to put your faith and trust in Jesus, like this man Onesimus, God will take you from being unprofitable for the things of eternity to being radically profitable. But you see also how Philemon believes in Jesus, but Paul still needs to coach him how to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus is real. The servant Onesimus didn't have the best history when he met the Apostle Paul. However, because of Jesus, he became a new person. In fact, Paul planned to send him back to be a light for the love of Christ. Pastor Daniel encouraged us today to learn from the story of Onesimus. 
We may feel useless in our ability to minister to others, but because of Jesus, that just isn't true. Jesus gives us exactly what we need to succeed. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. One of the things that I'm the most stoked about is that this year we launched a brand new campus in Southwest Portland. We would love to invite everyone to come and join Crossroads Southwest Portland on Sundays at 10 a.m. We're growing, and honestly, not just in Southwest Portland, but all over the country and the world as people join us at our online campus, 9, 11, and 1 p.m. or Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. on our online campus, crossroadslive.tv. Now here's Josh with what's coming up on our next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel reminds us that we're not so different from the people we learn about in the Bible, specifically in the book of Philemon. God gives us direction, but we don't always listen. We run away from his plans, but he doesn't stop pursuing us. God wants to do great things in and through us if we're ready to stop running, learn from him, and say yes to his plans. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Little is the New Big. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.